welcome everyone to episode 35 of the 25 Live. My name is Jim Bernica. My special guest this week is James Gearing. You might recognize James. He's got his own podcast, Behind the Shield. He's been doing that for a few years, almost 300 episodes in. It's all about health and wellness for first responders and military. Absolutely amazing stuff. Please check it out. He does a deep dive into all that stuff. He has his own interesting story growing up in England, uh, doing stunt work in Japan, ending up in the States, becoming a firefighter, and then becoming a podcaster. So I thought it'd be great to talk about that and also some of the lessons he's learned from the interviews that he's had and uh, share that with, with all of you listeners. So once again, James Gearing, Behind the Shield. We're both doing that isolation stuff at home. So uh, for me, at least, uh, for once, I'm not procrastinating. I'm actually being ahead of times, and, and I'll have this episode in a can. We're filming it in early April, and it'll debut the end of April. So just kind of keep that in mind as far as context to what's going around in the world because it's crazy now. I can only imagine how it's going to be in a couple of weeks. So without further ado, James Gearing, Behind the Shield. All right, welcome everyone to this week's episode of the 25 Live. I've got a very special guest, no strange to the podcast, James Gearing. James, how are you doing this morning? Good, Jim. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing all right. Um, isolation day number whatever. I've lost count at this point, right? Yeah, I think we're on like 14, 15, something like that. It's a couple of weeks in. Yeah, so... I'm going to start off, I'm going to rip you off completely and just go, where are you located at this moment doing your isolation? On planet Earth. <laughs> um, so I live in a beautiful little town called Ocala in Florida, which is, if you stuck a pin right in the middle of the state of Florida, that's where we are. And and I told you previously, I've actually been there. I've been there a bunch of times. It's, now, granted, it's been a while, but my grandparents had a place there on top of the world, which is if you ever go down there half the billboards are on top of the world retirement community. And I think the other half is the other big retirement community down there, right? Uh, yeah, the villages, which is the funny. Villages. The yeah. running joke is, you know, that the, it's the STD capital of America as well. So there's this fear of this virus with the elderly. And, and the joke is, well, they're so used to disease that they should be fine. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's pretty good. Wow. I never, even, I never even thought about that, but yes, no, we, they, we've probably been in the same Publix before. I mean, all that kind of stuff. So it's just kind of, again, small world thing. Indeed. But but speaking about the small world thing or the big world thing, you know, again, I've been to Ocala. You don't sound like you're necessarily from there. No, I'm not from these parts, as they say. No, I'm originally from England. All right. Um, well, I mean, the question, the next question, obviously, how the heck did you end up there? In Ocala. In Ocala. Um, long what story was that whole short. journey? <laughs> so very, very long time ago, you know, I grew up in England. Um, when I was little, I wanted to be a firefighter. So it's kind of an interesting thing. And I was told I was colorblind. So basically, they scratched it off the potential job list along with fire pilot and all the cool jobs. Um, and so for years, I kind of fumbled around different careers i did lifeguarding for quite a long time because that was the next best thing um and uh then i got into stunts stunt work i've been a martial artist my whole life and started doing stunts and went over to got, got hired in japan and worked out there and met my little boy's mother my now ex-wife um and so we got married and moved to the u.s where she was from um so that's kind of what brought me here and then the funny thing is it was kind of Right when I was moving, I had an epiphany about my color blindness that I basically wasn't. <laughs> I don't know why it took me so long to figure it out. Um, but it's, so when I moved to the U.S. is when I actually started pursuing the fire service and, and then becoming a medic. Nice. And you've worked for a couple of different departments at this point, correct? Yeah, well, actually four technically. Um, I started off in doing my training in Orlando. Then uh, my ex wanted to live in Miami. So we went down there and I worked for Hialeah for the first year. Then she wanted to go out to California. So I worked for Anaheim a few years, which I, I mean, those two were, were great for setting the bar. I mean, it was such a good introduction. Hialeah's academy was brutal. Um, and then uh, Anaheim was a very different thing, east and west. You know, now I'm having to learn a lot of the truck company stuff and um so that was amazing and then 
We had a, my little boy. She wanted to move back to Florida to be around her family. So then I worked in the uh, kind of Orlando area, Orange County, and Reedy Creek for the last ten years of my career. Nice. And are you still active firefighting? No, I actually retired about a year and a half ago. Um, basically, so what happened about five years ago? We lost. I think I buried. I, I forget the exact na- uh, amount, but it was like six or seven. Um, firefighters here and from all different reasons I had a one with a brain bleed uh, an overdose a suicide um, uh, heart attack while he was swimming autoimmune disease I mean just all these people these are like good friends you know people that were that I work with um, on top of all these people that I knew from neighboring departments or neighboring police departments and so I I realized and i was a podcast listener by this point and i was like there's got to be some good information out there for us for for our profession and so i started looking and i and yes there's you know the the uh, fire engineering podcast and things like that but there was nothing really for overall wellness especially like as a person rather than as a specifically a firefighter um so i decided to start one up about three and a half years ago um my last department to put it bluntly was extremely complacent and and I was banging my head against a brick wall trying to trying to make a difference there and so as the podcast started becoming more popular I realized that it was making more of a difference doing that than I was running calls in a in a theme park uh department basically and so I'd I'd coming off a knee injury I, I was at a crossroads and so I decided to retire out and then throw my pension into basically give myself a salary for a year or so while I focused on the podcast. So, so that was the thing. It was a, a kind of mid-career retirement. It wasn't like an end of career. I have no pension left now. <laughs> it was a more of a entrepreneurial reinvestment. Um, but yeah, it was just a bang for buck. Like the the special forces call themselves force multipliers. They don't just go and join an army. They go and train an army. And so that was kind of what I saw with the podcast is finding these amazing men and women with, with truly with answers to a lot of the things that are killing us. Um, you know, I could sit and interview someone and, and it would be listened to thousands and thousands and thousands of times versus, you know, running a call, which I love doing, but affect like one individual at a time. So that was, that was the kind of reason for the, the retirement. Nice. Well, I'm glad that you ended up going into this podcasting. I've obviously learned a lot from your shows uh, I mean, you're up to, I mean, you're 280 something guests at this point. Um, and you know, just me not even listening to all of them at this point, because even with the stay at home stuff, it's going to take a while to catch up and get all that stuff. But, um, clearly I, I kind of share the same vision as you. There's, there's, a there's a lot of good things that can come out of these podcasts, whether people are just listening to them when they're working out, driving, you know, very soon we'll probably be mowing the grass here. You're probably already, you've been doing that, I'm sure. Um, but with that being said, I, w- I was just curious, and I, and I thought you had been just a great episode, which is, I know it's roles reversed, but because of everybody you've listened to and, and you've interviewed, I imagine there's some absolute great lessons that you've learned, you know, through them. And I was hoping you can kind of just share some of those and, and we can point uh, individuals back to your, you know, behind the shield podcast and, and they could check that out too, because you, you do a, a complete deep dive and, and I love it. I just, that's not my style. I, I don't have necessarily the time, but it's, it's great um, for that kind of thing. Just going way deep. Where do they start? How do they get there? I, I love that stuff. But anyway, now I'm talking way too much and you're supposed to be the one talking for once. No, it's good though. It's good. Um, so yeah, as far as some of the the most impactful topics or or ways of of storytelling that I came across, um, I just did an interview for the fourth time now. One of my very first guests, which is Dr. Kirk Parsley, and he's a Navy SEAL that became a physician, went back to the SEALs. Um, very long story short, he would do the you know the the routine physicals on on these men, and realized that their blood work was terrible like you know like a 60 year old man and um he took him about a year to figure out but he saw a correlation where so many of these people were on ambien and you know they're doing a lot of the night training night drills that kind of thing and so he started 
getting management or, or command to to change the way they did it, give them more sleep, um, and was able to wean them off the Ambien, and completely reversed these effects. You know, the the, the blood work went back to normal, testosterone went back to normal, because um, he was seeing testosterone in the toilet of these like uber athlete super soldiers that we we had there. Um, so when I listened to him, I think it was on Barbell Shrugged podcast, the original one. Um, and I was like, this, this is, this is us. This is exactly what we're seeing is as he expanded, it wasn't just the short term, like chronic, I mean, excuse me, the acute, but it was also the chronic. So that was an absolute eye opener is why I tried to get him on. And we just did one recently about the coronavirus, funny enough, just the other day, um, that's out now, but the effect long-term of sleep is basically everything that kills us i know you you know one of the big things you talk about is cancer that's a huge huge um you know byproduct of sleep deprivation chronic sleep deprivation the heart disease the weight gain the diabetes the high blood pressure um, the mental health issues that we see and then short term when you realize how um neurologically compromised you are after one two nights without sleep or just shit you sleep and god forbid you know a, a career of that it makes you realize also what a liability we are when when we're being worked the way we are at the moment. So that the first one I talk about is that. And then the other other thing, I mean, there's, there's so many topics, but the other thing is the storytelling. So episode six is, is Kurt Parsi's first one. And then episode 39 is a friend of mine, Dustin Hawkins, who was really the first person I had who told like a, a just a heartbreaking story of but literally being moments from taking his own life, um, you know, the mental health journey. He's also a burn, burn injured survivor as well because of an uh, accident repairing a boat at the station. Um, just, a, I mean, talk about getting kicked in the balls over and over and over again. But the, the resilience and what he did with it and how now he's one of the members of the um, Florida Safety and Health Collaborative. I always forget the name of the, the guys, but the men yeah, and women, the, but the, they're the an face amazing guys. Yes, yes. So they're they're fantastic. I know you had um, Jeff Orange on already, uh, who's one of those guys. But yeah, so that's another one because that's the kind of Me Too. I know that Me Too has got a, a you know a, a different spin on it with with being kind of ridiculed by some people. But it is. It's it's this is what most of us go through at some point. Some way deeper than others. But how can you go through a career? Not just what you see, but but again, the sleep deprivation and the 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 stress at work, you know, the um, organizational stress, they call it, and not be affected in some way. You know, we've all got these horrendous stories of things that we've seen. Um, so he was the first that then of many, ultimately, of these these incredibly courageous men and women that told their heartbreaking stories. And that really blew it wide open because people listened and started saying, I'm not weak. I'm not being a pussy. I'm not, you know. I'm not the only one. I'm, I'm, it's all of us, you know, and some of us are doing well. Some of us are dealing with it. We still have that, but luckily we didn't, you know, turn to alcohol or, you know, gambling or, you know, whatever it was, you know, we, we were able through our exercise, through our church, through whatever to, to, to be more resilient to it. So then the lessons are from those people, right? Well then teach us, why is it that you are doing better? So those were two, which are obviously interrelated as well. I think that were the first two things that really, you know, struck me as these are, these are incredibly powerful areas that we have to talk about over and over and over again. Yeah. Those, those two episodes are absolutely great. I know that my God, the Dustin Hawkins one was, and I'm, no bullshit it's it is probably the most powerful podcast i think i've ever listened to i mean it was it's intense and i mean i mean just the wow feeling of everything he's gone through and everything he's conquered and made it on the other side and is now able to pass this on you know his lessons learned to everybody else i mean that's that's truly is that whole ptsd i to that post-traumatic growth and just again playing paying everything forward and uh, with the good doc, my God, you know, I get, I now get t uh, testosterone shots every Saturday. My wife gets the, uh, she loves just, you know, sticking me in the arm every, every Saturday now. So, and to sleep, I'm with you on that too. I mean, my God, I'd still have Ambien in the counter uh, in my cabinet that I haven't touched in over a year. But, you know, I, I share those problems and I, and I think, 
what I what I love about you and what I try to do too is just extend everything we're dealing with or everything that we see and just trying to find solutions and why we need to change the way we're doing things. And that, that what you do there is is absolutely great. Um, yeah, that, some, that, go ahead. I'm sorry. sorry. I was, sorry, I was going to interject as well. And no, that's just it. So I think the other side of this is, you know, my background is as an athlete. It's um, also University of London and University of Florida, um, exercise physiology. So I'm not an expert, but I at least my bullshit meter is kind of, you know, groomed, you know what I mean? So each of these people that comes on, it makes sense to me. I'm, I'm trying to find people that have the answers. And so when, when we get them, but, but they're not in the fire service. So that was the big key for me was, you know, the safe fitness, for example, we have the peer fitness program, you know, we got the, with the mental health and they built the, um, the center up in the Northeast. And, and these are, these are absolutely tools, but, Obviously, you know, in the military, in in the psychology world, there are also some some amazing people that have really really good solutions as well. And in, and in you know the sporting world, in 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 the the uh, special operations world, their you know, exercise physiologists, their trainers are you know incredible. So that was my thing: is to reach out to other areas outside the fire service and see who's doing it better, not just in in the U.S. but all around the world. And then bring them in because, you know, we we're I, I love this profession, but you have to have the humility to say that we don't have all the answers. And certainly when it comes to the shifts that we do, and I'm, I'm always very, very clear, I think 24 is the only way to do firefighting specifically, because by the time you've you know done your days and checked everything out and done some training, it's already, you know, nighttime. So but the 2472 to me is the gold standard we're we're killing our men and women working 56 plus hour weeks no i I agree with you i've tried to take that subject to where i work which is 2448s and when it comes down to it it's all about money which is unfortunately what it is for all the fire service you know when it comes to a lot of the cancer prevention items you know the second set of gear the the gear uh extractors the diesel exhaust systems, uh, the annual firefighter physicals. Um, everybody should have plenty of that stuff. They, they, they should check all those boxes, but yet a lot of times it's they don't have all that because about the money. So trying to add another shift is just, even though it makes sense and it's for the betterment of the firefighters, I don't necessarily think, at least for me, that my city cares about that. It's not about Boy. that. It's about money. Well, here's my angle on that, because obviously I've heard every argument under the sun now, every knee jerk, and there aren't even that many because they can only come up with like three or four. Um, but so it really is. Are you there just to make yourself look good for a fiscal year or are you are you a leader in your city or your county? Because if you look financially at what it costs on disability, on workman's comp, on mistakes made by your firefighters, and, and you look at the financial cost of that versus what ends up actually not even being a full shift. If, it, if the a department has Kelly days, obviously those will go away. Um, if they if they buffer their really shitty schedule with extra vacations days, then you can trade off some of those. Um, it's more, I know my last department, they were looking at it, it was like two thirds of a shift basically is what it would have cost. They had a Kelly day. Um, and but you look at the cost of one firefighter going out with a back injury or a knee injury or, you know, hypertension, whatever it is that we have over and over and over and over again later in, in a lot of first responders careers. You're a really shitty financial manager if you think that working firefighters to when they get hurt is more fiscally sound than investing on the front end and reducing all those because if you look at, you know, over a 10 year period, you're going to save a huge amount of money, but it has to be someone with the balls to say, I'm going to invest in this county. I'm going to invest in this city. It's going to cost us a little bit now, but here's the projection of, of how it's going to affect us over these next 10 years. And we're going to save, you know, save so much down the road. But that's the problem is that arguments never had because everyone wants to be the person that cut the budget that year and got that little Christmas bonus. Sure. I also, I even get my own guys and gals fight me on this when I talk about it because that, you know, we would go from a 48 hour week to a 42 hour week 
that's six hours we're down per week and it adds up to a considerable amount of money and you know they're basically we're not taking a pay cut we don't get paid enough to begin with there's no way we're going to take a pay cut and also heard that one over and over again i mean it's but it's just like they, so just, don't get, they just don't get the big picture of it so you're in that department and you get assigned to training so you're on a 40 hour week do they cut your hours no, you just, no, you just your hourly yeah. rate on paper goes up. Your salary stays the same. That's the thing. That's not how it works. You don't give up hours. You are. That's the whole point is you're bringing your work week back. And you've got to think of it like a salary, not an hourly rate. So that, that whole argument is so ridiculous too. If I go, you know, uh, light duty or I get assigned to training or, you know, some special project, I go to 40 hours. They don't say, hey, I'm on 56 most of my career. Oh, we're going to cut your... 16 hours a week as well we're only going to pay you for 40 no that's not <laughs> you know and no no chief out there is getting a pay cut because they're going to a 40 hour week so that argument is so null and void if when you bring the hourly rate and when the when you bring the the um the work week down you've got to look at it like a salary not an hourly of course we have an hourly when you divvy it down but the salary stays the same that's why it's going to be an investment in your people of course it's going to cost the department a little bit more but again, you're taking that money from the back where everyone's getting hurt and you're investing it into that extra shift. James, you know what you just signed yourself up for, by the way? What's that? <laughs> I, I think I'll have to bring you into my contract talks. <laughs> well, it's a, that's the beautiful thing about not working for a depart, department anymore. I can speak freely. I don't get shitty little emails anymore or, to, you know, no one can tell me to shut up. So this is what I'm seeing from East and West. And I've worked for... What I would consider one of the best departments in the in the country, and one of the worst. <laughs> so I've got a pretty broad spectrum of of you know what observations. But when when you as as you were saying, 300 episodes in of some of the greatest minds in medicine, health, fitness, nutrition, sleep, um, you know, military leadership, they're all agreeing. They're all saying it's insanity what you what you're doing in the fire department. You are killing your people. And this is what we do in the Navy SEALs and the Green Berets and in, in, you know, in the Air Force. We, we do it differently because we understand the value of health. So that's the thing is, is I hope that it's people like you and me and, and you know, everyone else is out there. Jackie uh, Toomey, who you had on, and Dana Ali and all these other people that are out there putting their voice amongst you know, everyone else who's just on the ground floor to the, to the point where there's that critical moment um, where – people finally understand. And I understand right now, this is kind of new information with sleep deprivation, um, you know, in that kind of area, because we were all raised with, I'll sleep when I'm dead. Well, yeah, you will. And you're going to get a chance a lot sooner than you than you thought, because we normally die within about five years of retirement. So having this kind of, you know, uh, seeing seeing the, the wood, not just the trees kind of thing, this wide perspective, um, it, it allows me to be an advocate because I'm not getting my ass handed to me every single shift now. You know, I, I get to sleep and I see the, the difference personally. It's it's night and day. Like my memory was so bad. I'd pull out of the, the bay doors and couldn't even remember if I had to turn right or left to, to the, the call I was going. I mean, it was crazy. So, um, yeah, I mean, this is something that has to be reframed just like mental health it's not weakness wanting a lesser work week it's if you are an athlete you want to be the best athlete and we are not an environment to be the best athletes that we're an environment that's setting us up to fail and that's why we even the, the the injuries physiologically we get hurt because you cannot repair you know uh muscles and ligaments and tendons if you're not sleeping that's just the that's common basic physiology absolutely no, I love the the fact that you have freedom of speech. I'm still being listened to, so I don't. <laughs> I'm still employed, so I, I can't, but uh, I can allude to stuff. I know that I've accomplished a lot in my time pushing this stuff. You know, I've been involved doing the cancer stuff since 2006, and I, we've gained a lot of ground, but there's still so much to go, and, you know, Kind of like what you said earlier, you know, I, I constantly end up banging my head on the wall. Like, I just don't get it. But it's all baby steps, unfortunately, and I'm not going to stop. And I know even when I'm gone, I'm still going to be there. I'm still going to be my guys and gals advocate and and help them with anything I can. It's, it's just, I just know that's how it is. But 
I think a lot of it, unfortunately, and I, I think the smaller department you're at, probably the better you are with this, but you know, the bigger you get, the more it's not personal, it's you're a number. And, and that's the, the frustrating part. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, and I'm sure everyone listening, there's only so many times you can hear bagpipes and watch a folded American flag being given to a grieving husband or wife and, and you know, their helmet being given to their ch- children as they're bawling before you say enough is enough. Like you said, enough is enough. I mean, for most of us, enough is enough because we just see people we don't know pass in a way, you know, but when you've been in that damn church five, six times, like I, I hate bagpipes now. I was never a big fan even before <laughs> growing up in England, but um, they just remind me of, of broken hearts and you know, destroyed families, you know? So that's the thing is we need to put that humanity, that, that human element back into it because we are not numbers and neither are the administrators, you know, people in general. And I'm hoping that this, this time right now, is recalibrating some some people's thoughts because that resilience piece you'd think that it, it was you know the zombie apocalypse the way it's being painted on tv and when any of us look at the real numbers knowing how many people in our department as far as you know patients that we run on die on a weekly basis in in one large city it matches these numbers you know they're gonna die anyway so this thing is 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 scary. We have to do our part. We have to isolate. We have to slow the curve. I totally get that. But the other thing that's not being talked about is the resilience. This does attack people who have, you know, who are immune compromised, whether it's elderly, whether it's the obese, the smokers, um, people on chemo. And so how do you combat that? You make more resilient men and women. So that's the other piece is you know, we we talk about being the the greatest country in the world and and acting like anyone that tried to invade us is, is gonna is gonna fail. What well, we'll go into a Walmart? Does that look like a, a you know a muscular army to you? No, we're a very very sick nation in some parts. So that health piece, whether it's in the fire service, you know, the military, the, the civilian population, that is something that should be top of the priority all the way through. You know from from school through to to the elderly and so i think if when we ignore the cancer thing the sleep thing the mental health thing we're not doing just the fire service as a service we're doing the entire nation the entire entire planet as a service by ignoring the most important thing which is health of your nation i think it all comes to being proactive which is not something I think the fire service is good at. We're good at being reactive. You know, for us to care about behavioral health, unfortunately, something bad has to happen. There has to be a suicide. You know, for somebody, you know, for cancer initiatives to start, somebody well-respected and liked has to pass from cancer. And, you know, you spoke earlier about the chief, uh, giving these flags out, you know, I'm, I'm obviously, I'm not a chief. I'm never going to be a chief, but, uh, I was in Colorado Springs last year and I did have to give one of our widows a flag and I never, ever, ever want to do that again. It was, it was an honor, but yet it stole my soul. I mean, it was, it just rendered me useless. I mean, emotionless, uh, afterwards everything i had in me was gone and it was just one time doing it so i I agree with you like how many times does that have to happen before change can happen and that's that's the unfortunate thing again the reactive instead of proactive approach yeah yeah and again so so there's the the human element which I, i know most of the men and women listening that's enough for them you know it's the same way as having to persuade someone to train in the fire service. Like if you don't understand that lives depend on you, you're probably in the wrong def- profession anyway. But, but you know, the, the, the proactive side is also on performance. So we were working in the busiest station, which I have, you know, met much of my career um, and, and, you know, being up all night as a badge of honor. And in a way it is, I mean, you are resilient, you know, but, You've got to look at it the other way as well. You want us to perform the best. So to have the firefighter, the medic, to be the best version of themselves, they need to have that rest and recovery. You would not tell the NBA or the NFL, whoever your favorite you know, organization is, 
to work your athletes into the ground. You want them to be able to, you know, perform and, and you know, do their best on, on the court, on the field. But yet, when it comes to police and fire and dispatch, it's the polar opposite. You know, corrections, now we're, we're set in these, these environments that are causing them to be a shadow of themselves. And the ones that perform well is, you know, often despite the conditions, not because of them. But then, like I said, the Northeast, Boca Raton, you know, some of these areas in the country, they're they're doing these 42s. And that's the other thing. Why is it such a hard sell when the entire Northeast does that very shift pattern? You know, so we have to focus, like you said, on the, the proactive makes you reactive. You, you, you know, you fall to your level of training where well, you fall to your level of fitness and health as well. So if you want to be able to respond and actually enact that rescue, you know, be completely in the moment in that that code you know whatever it is you have to create an environment for these people to to thrive when everyone else is falling apart you know what i'm what i've been kind of talking about is the whole uh retroactive something bad happens now we're going to do something what my hope is and i and i'm going to assume i know you feel the same way with everything that you and i talk about through our respected podcast or I don't know if mine's respected, but uh, the point is learn from these lessons from, from these interviews. Um, all these people we've been through have clearly know something, have been through some stuff, and it's like learn their lessons. Don't have You don't have to do it yourself and learn from your own lesson. Learn their stuff instead and know not to do that. You know, You don't have to go through everything they did. Just listen to them and make the proper adjustments so you don't have to go there. You know, that's that's one of the big attempts of all this stuff for me at least is to get this out here so you can be better so you can enjoy your career and and ultimately enjoy your retirement because otherwise what's the point of doing all this stuff it's pointless yeah yeah well I think that's the thing everyone would agree that there's only one thing that comes ahead of the job and that's your family well if you're getting sick if you're you know finding yourself turning the alcohol, you know, you're, again, you know, barely lasting past your retirement, is that putting your family first? If you're always taking overtime, you know, no, it's not. So there has to be that balance and you have to remember why you do the job. And of course we want to serve. But what I've learned from many of the people that transitioned out of police, fire, military, is that you can also serve in other capacities too, you know, once you, once you transition out. So yeah, I mean, we have to put our health first. And again, with health becomes uh, performance, you know, so the the more healthy you are, the more that you make that the main topic versus maybe a, you know, 50 cent raise or all these other bargaining chips that I've seen put in front of wellness over and over and over again in union, you know, discussions that I've witnessed. Um, you know, that's, that's the main priority. And if you're healthy, like you said, you can have a full career as a responder, but then have a full retirement, you know, and enjoy the fruits of your labor. It's not why we do it, but you are not only you making a sacrifice, people got to remember your family are making a sacrifice. Every third day you're at work that, and I, I didn't realize this till just about six months ago, I had an epiphany. I'm like, I only woke up next to my wife, you know, with my family in the house one out of three days of my whole career because one day I left before anyone was awake to go to work. The next day when I came home, everyone was already awake and gone to school, to work, whatever. So it was only one of the three days that I actually woke up and got to, you know, kiss my wife in the morning, have breakfast with my, my kids. So you are making a huge sacrifice and we're proud to, but in return, there needs to be an environment to, like I said, to thrive and to enable us to have a long and healthy retirement after. So it's a win-win when you fight for the health side, because not only are you going to be a better police officer, firefighter, you know, whatever profession you're in, but you're going to have so much more longevity and so much more ability. You're not just going to be wheeling along in a motorized wheelchair with, you know, an O2 tank strapped to it. You're going to be able to play with your grandkids. You know, you're going to, you're going to have true health. So I think that, yeah, absolutely. It's, there's no downside to, to focusing on on health and and it kills me when we when we see this oh you know now now we're acting because so and so died and, and i've always said this all right well give me a body count tell me how many people you need to die before we take it seriously we'll just go 
you know, cover everyone in asbestos. We'll, we'll get the cancer death rate that you need, and then we'll start doing this. You know, because it should it, you shouldn't have to have hundreds or thousands of people die before you actually pay attention. That's that's so disgusting. That shows a complete lack of care for human life. No, absolutely. Very well said. Now, um, is there is there any other interviews that you've done that you would recommend um, or, you know, my listeners become your listeners to? Um, so many. I mean, honestly, it you know, it, it's I, I know I'm such... asking you like to choose between your children, basically. <laughs> yeah, no, but I can give you some other highlight ones. So a big thing for me, like I said, with the injuries I had. This last apartment is funny. I had three injuries. I was only there five years, so they, they, uh, they were not happy with me, I'm sure. But the first one was a, a back injury, and I found this thing called foundation training, which uh, was started by a, a chiropractor who hurt his own back and was actually supposed to be having surgery. And he was like, well, how can I have surgery? He was in, in chiropractic school. And then tell these people about the wonders of chiropractic when I got a big scar down my back. And so he used movement practices, yoga, Pilates, all these things that he'd studied and put this kind of movement practice together that's extremely simple. You're basically either just standing there or you're lying on a mat, but it fixes the imbalances in in the body, especially that you get from things like sitting and, and just modern day inactivity. Um, and his name's Dr. Uh, excuse me, Dr. Eric Goodman. Um, and I was amazed. It completely healed my back. I didn't have surgeries didn't take any pain meds or anything. And um, to the point where I was competing in a firefighter fundraiser, deadlifting, you know, 225 for reps just a few weeks, a few weeks after I came back to work. So that is a huge one again for for that. Another one that I really like is um, uh, God, why am I forgetting Jeff's last name? He's a Navy SEAL, Jeff Nichols, um, Navy SEAL, but also extremely well respected um, uh, strength and conditioning coach and his uh, perspective on exercise as far as stress is another amazing one so they're talking like you come off a really bad shift you don't want to go into a crossfit gym and do murph you take stress and you're adding stress you know so understanding how to deregulate the nervous system on on days and then other days when you had some rest that's when you're gonna gonna hit it hard uh, another one julian pinot has been on three times he's got a um a strength program called strong fit um, and it's way more than strength. I mean, his whole philosophy on mental health through exercise, on uh, nutrition and, and mental health. I mean, excuse me, nutrition and, and the nervous system. Uh, another amazing one that really, really changed the way I looked at movement. And his strongman style training he does is so pertinent for what we do. It's a lot of push, pull, drag, carry, climb kind of thing. Um, so, I mean, that's just a few right off the bat. But as you said, it's it's choosing from your children. It I always tell people if you if you need to know which kind of direction to start, where the where the entrance to the rabbit hole is, just message me, email me. I will give you you know like one or two episodes, and then off you go. You know, so it's become this huge library now of of so many great people. If you tell me a topic that you want to know about, I can tell you six seven episodes to start off immediately. Perfect. I love how again you take some of your stuff that you've dealt with personally and you expound on it and you share it and um, you get it out there and it's stuff that's not always completely known that it was not people aren't always aware of it you know my big one was uh, my hearing I had hearing loss and you know I'm 40 years old I have hearing aids now and me just getting it out there and talking about it all of a sudden these other firefighters from all over the world are going shit he's describing what i'm going through and just you know for me everybody that i talk to the normal ent's audiologists blew blew me off for a decade and then i finally found the right person and she's been able to get me help and therefore get everybody else help as well so um you know again i i love everything that you and i are both doing it's it's you know we're helping our brothers and sisters out there have a better life Absolutely. Now, did you have tinnitus before you got your hearing loss? I did not. I did not. Okay. I was actually like, like you and I, if we were actually in a room, ideally I'd be in Ocala instead of Beaver Creek, Ohio with you. But, <laughs> but, uh, I would be fine. But as soon as I, as soon as, and again, pretend that we're able to go out and eat at restaurants and stuff. If we went out and had lunch, 
I'd have to, I'd become a lip reader because of all the background noise. I, I, I couldn't take it in. I couldn't See, decipher what was going on. That's interesting because I, I have, I have tinnitus at the moment. It's not bad. My, my hearing's still good, but it's just kind of, kind of got worse. I don't know. The last just suddenly came on about probably eight months ago. But with the with the noise thing, what I find, I think again, this is more not so much mental ill health, but again, that hypervigilance is. I don't like being somewhere that's noisy or has some. Um, I freaking hate restaurants that have TVs everywhere. And it's not like I go into any kind of fear or panic response. I think it's just from years and years and years of noise and, you know, obviously uh, the emergency scenarios. I, if I want to go and eat, I want to be somewhere quiet now. You know, I want to be somewhere where I can listen to the people. Cause I think it's, of course, you know, yours is hearing loss, but the average restaurant now music and televisions and you know it's just people singing not happy birthday because they'll get sued but whatever their version of happy birthday is <laughs> to the tables you know it's 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 hard to find a place where you can just be present now in in a restaurant or a bar or whatever and have e- that conversation yeah even with my hearing aids in which I'm, I'm now able to decipher things and hear things and i can turn them up um they're absolutely great but i still just like what you're saying like give me a corner booth away from everybody and more more importantly than anything it allows me to concentrate on the conversation, give them my undivided attention, which is, you know, what they deserve. Yeah. Yeah. And I think hearing loss is probably another thing that we're going to see you know, a lot more of now. Cause I know, you know, we got the cans, you know, sometimes when the sirens are going off, but everything we do, you know, using saws, I mean, just by, you know, standing pumping, you know, I mean, all these things, um, we are exposed to a lot of, uh, a lot of noise. Um, not as much as someone in construction, for example, but, but, you know, you can't just, it's like when you see these conversations about putting on chaps when you're going to ventilate a roof, there's a certain point where you just can't, there's, you know, you can't be overly safe when someone's hanging out of a window dying. So, you know, I think there's many times where we're just not protected hearing wise and it is what it is. Well, I mean, I thought my hearing loss for, was from the job, everything, you know, the sirens, uh, the horns, the saws, and, and you add a little mix of Metallica in there. And that's, that's, I just thought that that was a given. That's what the problem was. And it goes much deeper than that. And I, I just advise you, um, you know, I'll share one of my episodes with you. Check out Dr. Gail Whitelaw. And I don't, unlike you, I don't remember the number <laughs> she is, but she goes all about that. She's an audiologist for the Ohio State University. And I, I absolutely love her to death. I will listen she's, to her. It's brilliant. She's, She's made my just my regular social life so much better and also my work life, too. I mean, being in the back of a medic or driving an engine, you know, I can now hear what's going on. And, and that was really difficult to do. So, yeah, Gail Whitelaw. Brilliant. Um, yeah. So I, uh, I want to get you out of here on this. Uh, I, again, I appreciate your time so much. I know the tables have turned. Usually when you're ending an interview, you like to ask particular questions you know uh favorite book uh favorite movie uh uh uh, who else to interview uh favorite documentary i kind of have all that wrapped up but i I have this thing called a 25 so i've got 25 random questions written out just a list in front of me and you just shoot me a number and i'll read that question to you how's that are you up for that yep 14 Okay, what's something that you've tried that you you'll never ever try again? Prison sex. <laughs> <laughs> no, I take that back. Um, something I try and never try again. Um, uh, I, I guess you say roller coasters or version of like I've been on uh, smaller ones. I've done like the Jurassic Park drop in the Universal Studios Park, but I hate roller coasters with a passion. I never ever, never found that fun. Like I got people, I've jumped out of planes and and loved it. And I see people that clearly have never done anything scary in their life that absolutely love roller coasters. I don't know what that disconnect is, but yeah, that's that's one of mine. I mean, I'd say it was a fear. If, if you know, if I had to, I would. But yeah, can't stand them. So that would be that would be the the serious answer to your question. Nice. It's funny because my answer to that would be skydiving. So. Oh really? Do you like <laughs> roller coasters? I'm okay with them, but um, I've noticed I get motion sick now at my old age. 
Right. In fact, I'll tell you, uh, if you don't mind, I'll indulge you in a story of mine. So I'm at Universal Studios Florida, and we're in the Harry Potter park or whatever. And I do the dragon stuff, and I get off of it, and I just vomit just just everything. Everything I had eaten for the last week probably came out right then and there, right outside, you know, when you get off the ride. And I felt nauseous as could be, and uh, I had my friend give me, um, oh, I can't think about it, but the basically the, nause, the, the nausea pills. Zofran? She gave me, no, it was... Man, I wish my wife was here because she could tell me because she has it stuff with her. But um, it was just something you get over the counter, and she gave me a little bag, and I, I, it was just a little bag, and I thought I was supposed to take all of these, and that was not the case. In fact, it was, it was you're supposed to take two of these, but I was so out of it at that point, I, I ate them all, and before you know it, I'm at the sick bay Universal Studios sleeping on the cot while everybody else I'm with is having fun. <laughs> So I think that's actually the last roller coaster I rode, and that's like ten years ago. So yeah. Now just to say the fear with the skydiving, I uh, before I went, my my girlfriend at the time had basically signed us up, and I was I was terrified. I'm not gonna lie, I was absolutely terrified. And this was before I became a fireman too. Um, and when we went up, I was like, oh my god, you know, you're hanging out the plane strapped to a dude, and I'm like, this is so surreal. I swear to God, when we landed, I was like, "All right, I'm ready to sign up to be an instructor. How do I do it?" It was it was the complete opposite. Like I absolutely loved it. Was terrified before, and it was the fear of, you know, the what ifs. Roller coasters, you know, like I said, every time I go on, I just don't get that. Wow, that was fun feeling. I just I don't know. I just it's a completely different thing than jumping out of a plane. I just I just thought of the medicine, by the way, Dramadine. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The motion sickness yeah. one. Yep. Yep, 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 yep. That was it. So, don't eat a whole bag of it. Yeah, that'll then... put you on your ass. <laughs> it did. It did. It's like a tranquilizer. Um, how about another number? Uh, six. Well, how do you manage stress? Oh, that's a good question, actually, because I've one of the things I think that has been so good out of this self-isolation is it's forcing me to do a lot of the things that I know work, but I hadn't done in a while. So I love um, yoga. I just started doing it again. There's a guy, Rodney Yee, who has a bunch of DVDs that I've had forever and literally haven't done his for years. And I just started doing those. Um, the uh, the app Headspace, um, which is a guided meditation um app and I, I used that even when i was on shift i loved uh coming back from a you know call in the middle of the night and i would listen to it because you know you might run on a fire or a code or whatever you're not able just to go to sleep again so that would be a great way of kind of winding down um and then like i said sensibly not doing some crazy red line workout immediately after but i, I love exercise as well so now i finally kind of understand that concept um, if I am stressed, I'll go work out, but it'll be more like a moderate level, flush the body kind of thing rather than a, uh, you know, a heavy, heavy workout. So even to the point where there was a time recently I had an issue, um, a family issue, and I went to work out and I could literally physiologically make it, feel it making um, the workout, making things worse. So I threw the barbell down, literally ran out of the gym and just went for a slow jog for the rest of the you know, the allotted time. So, um, yeah, yoga, mental practice, exercise, and then um, nature as well. I love, I love the beach. They've shut all our bloody beaches down at the moment because, you know, because of a few idiots congregating together rather than using that outside space properly. Um, but yeah, that's that's a big thing for me is getting sun on my face and being near the ocean. And you are what about? I'm trying to remember about two hours away from Daytona. Yeah, I think we're, as the crow flies, about an hour and a half from Ormond, but there's a place, Crescent Beach, which is just south of St. Augustine, that is, there's no, you know, bars right on the beach or hotels or anything. It's just a whole bunch of condos and houses. So very, very quiet, very remote, um, but beautiful white sand, one of the most beautiful beaches I've ever been to. Yeah, I got to tell you, that sounds lovely. You can just wake up in the morning and like, pretend all this stuff wasn't happening. Wake up in the morning, just kind of on a whim, decide to go there and do that. 
if I did that, it'd be like, all right, we're in for an eight-hour drive. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, we're pretty lucky. Yeah, right where we are, Orlando's just over an hour away. Tampa's just over an hour away. Jacksonville's like two hours. And then, yeah, my favorite beach is two hours. So, yeah, pretty uh, pretty good place to be. Um, but it's always, you know, it's always a drive. So one day, you know, we may we may transition and actually try and live on the beach when the when the boys are all grown up and flown the coop. But we'll see. Nice. Nice. So let's get you out of here on one more. Okay. Uh, number one. Okay. First job. Um, I grew up on a farm. My dad was a horse vet. So technically my first job was mucking out stables and all that stuff. But the first job working for someone else was on, I can't remember if I was, I think I'd left school. So it was right summer, I think before I went to college, but the local, uh, butcher, um, no, I was much younger than that. Yeah, I must have still been in school. Anyway, the, the local butcher, I would go into his shop every Wednesday and basically scrub all the blood from the uh, the freezers. So that was a really fun <laughs> job. But that was my first one outside of you know working on the horse farm. How long did you end up doing that for? Not very long. I forget exactly how long, but yeah. I, I did so after being told I couldn't be a fireman when that was my dream. I did so many shitty jobs until, you know, really lifeguarding from especially temping work. God, I, I tied pieces of string on the plugs that go on a rubber dinghies in a, in a factory and worked in a pizza factory for for a day and um, did uh, a lot of um, God, what they call it, customer service, you know, IT type jobs. And yeah, I, I always hated them. I hated all of them because I knew what I wanted to do. So it was funny that when I finally was had that epiphany and found myself, you know, wearing a uniform of, as a firefighter, it was like, okay, this is where I was supposed to be the whole time. So, uh, yeah, if you find yourself hating your job out there, that's because you're not listening to your heart. So take a step back and there's no better time than now. I think a lot of people are going to do exactly that. They, they're, I guarantee you there's going to be people out there that are not going to go back to their job. They're going to realize that they hate it and that they haven't followed their dreams. So it'll be interesting to see, you know the the new norm after this isolation, and it, it's kind of a, a weird thing to think that, uh, like I've seen it online. I'm sure you have too. The whole you know look around now, you know the people that are still going to work, those are the jobs that are safe. Those are the jobs that are essential. Um, you know, consider those jobs, those trades. You know, the nurses, the doctors, the firefighters, the cops. Um, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, well, and that's that's what the discussion needs to be. All right, we were relying on these people, so now when they come back to us and say, "Hey, can we work the same work week that you guys work?" That maybe you shouldn't just laugh in their face and tell them to get out. That maybe now it's time to start working your, you know, your uh, medical residences. You know, the 66. Uh, excuse me, spitting my words out. The residents 60 hours a week and the firefighters 56 hours a week. You know, this is a good way of us taking a step back because from what I saw this morning, I'm trying to stay away from all the fear mongering news, but NYPD is kind of dropping like flies at the moment. And that's the thing. If you've got these first responders, you're working into a ground, you're making them less resilient than the average person. The whole point is to make them more resilient, you know? So if they are just so destroyed um, when it comes to their immune system, because of the shifts, because of the, the work weeks, because of the understaffing, they're having to work overtime, you know, mandatory overtime, and now you're turning to us because you need us, then there sure as hell better be a conversation after this of of creating a better environment. So I hope that happens. I know historically we're not very good at learning from our mistakes, but we as, as a profession or associated professions really need to push when this thing's done on the health side again. I no, I I completely I'm on board with that. I I appreciate that thought, and that's my hope. But my fear is that they're going to go. Well, we don't have any money. <laughs> we can't do any of that stuff. Yeah, well, you have money when you're bailing out all of us that got told to stay home. So clearly, there's money around. Same way as you, uh, all of a sudden, everyone was giving money out of the yin yang post 9/11. Well, where was this money that we asked for on 9/10? <laughs> you said you didn't have any. So yeah, exactly. I, I think it's prioritizing, you know. And again. It's front loading. You know, you can save money. That's what I love about 
the NHS in England, even though they're struggling now because, again, they've been cut and cut and cut. When, you know, the NHS, when it's, it's thriving, is, is based on prevention, you know, ultimately, because there is a finite source, which is the tax money. It's not a profit-based system. So you want your people to be healthier. You want to put prevention methods in. You want to stop people smoking, get people to lose weight. And that way they're not draining your system. Right here, right now, we have a profit-based system. I want you to be sick. I want you to take my medicines. Then I can get rich. And it sounds, you know, it sounds shitty, but it's the, it's the way it is. There's no money in healthy people or dead people. But sick people make them a fortune. So that whole philosophy needs to change. Absolutely. Now, again, I want to thank you for, for joining me and uh, sharing your stories with my listeners. Where can my listeners actually track you down? Not in a stalking way. Like. <laughs> they they could do that too if they want. Um, so yeah, the the podcast is called Behind the Shield. Um, it's on all the the apps, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all those ones. Um, the website because Behind the Shield was taken, so it's my name, jamesgearing.com, J A M E S G E E R I N G. Um, and I'm on Facebook. I think my Behind the Shield page is in Facebook jail. Like I can't get them to reply, and they they've shut everything down or or I can't get to it anyway. Um, so the best thing is Instagram. I have a Twitter account. I think I have like one and a half followers and maybe a cat or something. Um, but Instagram is the main platform that, uh, is, is so it a big fun. cat? Is it a, uh, is it a, the tiger it's king? It's feral. Yeah, no, I can't get close enough to see if it's, uh, if it's Carol or not, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so, but Instagram is, uh, behind the shield nine one one, I think is the handle. So nice. Yeah. All right. And then uh, let's see what am I, what else am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to say, uh, if you enjoyed it, give me a five star review, uh, share it, uh, subscribe. Am I missing something? You're a lot better at this than me, obviously. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's exactly it. I think for everyone listening that was supporting podcasts like yours, like mine, anyone who's trying to make a difference, the more, from what I understand, the more ratings that you get, and obviously five stars is the best. Um, the higher you chart, you know, climb on these virtual charts. I've never featured on any <laughs> top anything, I think, because the mind's is kind of like in this limbo. It's not specifically firefighting, you know, it's not about tactics and operations and everything. Um, and so, yeah, but but I know that, you know, the, the, the more subscribers we have and or ratings, the more someone's like, you know, I'm sick of seeing my friends dying. How can I find information that yours and mine will pop up? So the the ratings really do help. But then the biggest thing for me is word of mouth and sharing. You know, yours and mine is the more people that know that there are episodes, you know, like, for example, the hearing one that you did, the, the more chance there is of, of changing someone's life. So it's as simple as that. We'll put the free content out there. All you do is just help by sharing. Perfect. I couldn't have said it any better, and that's why I asked you to do <laughs> All right, but I will get you out of here. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for everything you're doing. I know I appreciate it, and I think all your listeners do as well. I mean, uh, I've learned lessons from you already, and um, I know it's going to keep coming. So, again, just I can't thank you enough. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, thank you too, Jim. Like I said, we're all just you know pieces of the puzzle that are trying to trying to make a change you know there's people in departments pushing personally for their own you know peer fitness peer support whatever it is and then there's people that have the bigger platforms that we're lucky enough to have now but um yeah just thank you for seeing that there was a need and actually acting on it i think that's all we can do is is do something nothing's going to change if you sit back and, and say it's how we've always done it or allow yourself to be bullied by people who don't have your best you know interest at heart so thank you as well for being part of the solution all right. Well, thank you, James. I appreciate that. Uh, have a good one, my friend. Uh, enjoyed that isolation for, I guess, what, another, at least another month. It seems uh, from, like it. From when we're recording this now. So, again, thank you. Everybody check out Behind the Shield podcast. Once again, thanks, James Gearing. <laughs>